everybody, and welcome to the Put Cancer Behind You podcast, a series dedicated to helping cancer patients and survivors lead healthy, happy, cancer-free lives. I'm your host, Maria Barnes. My guest for this episode is Jill Krause, a certified cancer survivorship coach, oncology yoga teacher, and breath coach. She's also the owner and founder of Universal Love, a community creating space for people to reconnect, reclaim, and redefine their lives after a cancer diagnosis. Jill, it's my pleasure to welcome you to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled. Now, before we get into your cancer journey, which has been an amazing one, I have to say, tell us a little bit about your background. Where'd you grow up? What was your family like? Uh, What did you envision yourself doing in life? Give us a rundown. Sure. So I grew up in Maryland, which I am still currently living in. We, um, I have an older sister who is two and a half years older than me. We grew up in a very happy, traditional family. Went to college to study speech pathology and deaf studies, American Sign Language. I envisioned myself actually becoming a sign language interpreter. That was actually my minor in college. Went on to finish my undergrad and graduate degrees in communication disorders and became a speech language pathologist. Got married in my mid-20s, still happily married to the same man. We have four children. Yeah, so I practiced speech pathology for a, for a few years and then became a full-time mom. Okay, excellent. So I know you loved being a speech pathologist, but family life is very important to you. So you had four children, rather close together, I have to say. And when uh, my understanding is when the youngest was three, your life changed. Why don't you tell us about that? Sure. Yeah. So I had, at the time, I had a three-year-old, five, seven, and 10-year-old in the house. I was a full-time mom. And I had been training for a marathon and had just completed my first marathon, Um, was in really good physical shape. I had nursed all four babies for quite some time. Yeah, I'd worked out in the morning and then um, was showering and found a lump. Right. So what happened then? What went through your mind? How did you react? You know, I would, I'd love to say that I was doing a self-breast exam and I was one of those that followed closely with self-breast care, but I was not. I was washing my body with my bare hands and lifted my breast to, you know, wash the sweat that had (laughs) accumulated underneath, felt a lump. And you know, the most amazing thing that happens, I believe, is is our brain. That's one of the reasons I went into speech pathology. The brain has always fascinated me. My brain went into complete protective mode. And it began telling me to really confirm what I had found. It tried to convince me that it was just from nursing, that, you know, my breasts were just full of weird things because I had nursed for so long. It convinced me to, you know, lift my, my arm up over my head a gazillion times and see if the, 
lump was still there. So it went straight into protective mode of don't panic, don't panic, don't panic, don't panic. But everything it was telling me to do, it still came back to, no, there's still a lump. Like I I still feel a lump. And I froze, really. I, my brain went into, well, what do we need to do? What do we need to do next? Which has been my constant question. Now what? Yeah. Got out of the shower, stood in a towel and called my OBGYN and made an appointment. Luckily, they were able to see me that afternoon. So I needed that information to be able to carry me the rest of the day. I had, like I said, four children. I needed to get up. I needed to make breakfast. I needed to get dressed. I needed to make lunch. I needed to drop to school. Those responsibilities, those four children, how to still be taken care of. Right. So I told my husband that I found a lump. I did not tell him that I already knew because I did. Right. Um, I had a gut intuition that I listened to very strongly, but I did tell him I had a doctor's appointment that I found something. Um, And then I had to go and be a mom and did, did mom things and got them ready for school. And I dropped them off and hugged them a little tighter and kissed them a little longer and smelled their newly showered hair and, you know, just took those mundane moments of everyday life and cherished them just a little bit more that morning. Because once you go through what, you know, I'm going to tell you, you forget how beautiful and powerful mundane is. Absolutely. So, yeah. So then I drove myself to the doctor. And what happened there? So, you know, this was the same office that I'd been going to for the past 15 years, the same office that delivered all four of my babies, you know, was now the same office that was going to maybe tell me that I had cancer. So it was a really out-of-body experience being there for such a different appointment, Yeah, as you will. Went, she gave me a very thorough exam, and she actually found a second lump. This one was sort of around and encased in my nipple. Mm. But she was very casual. And she was like, they're cysts. Like, I'm not concerned. You're young. Go schedule a mammogram and a sonogram. They're most likely going to aspirate them or drain the cysts, you know, right there in the office. Call me back once you, you know, Mm -hmm. once everything's fine, just give me a call back. Yeah. I remember looking at her and saying very inquisitively, like, you really think I have two cysts in the same breast? Like it seemed extremely odd to me. And again, that that whisper, that intuitive gut feeling, you know, I've always raised my children to believe in that whisper, to not ignore that whisper, that it's God, it's the higher power, it's the universe, it's whatever you believe in right? whispering to you. Yeah. Um, so if... God was really sitting there whispering to you, would you, would you ignore it? So I did not, you know, ignore this. I thought it was odd that that's what she was saying and that it was so casual. Hmm. 
but went home, made the appointment. And as we all know who have gone through this, the early stages are all about waiting and painful, excruciating waiting. And my appointment could not be scheduled for two weeks. So waited and, you know, I trudged along and did mom things and try to focus as much as I could on present moment and waited until the appointment. Right. So the day comes, you go in, what happens? This is such a, (laughs) such an unbelievable story. So I go and very nice lady takes me to the dressing room. She says she's going to take me to a mammogram and, you know, as pleasant and as calming and compassionate as, you know, she could be knowing I'm this young lady coming in with two lumps for a mammogram. So went, there was one technician. She put my breast in, took the films, said she was going to take me to the waiting room, show them to the radiologist. She'd come back and get me to take me to the sonogram. Great. Takes me to the waiting room. She comes in and she says the radiologist isn't pleased with the pictures. He would like to take more. Okay. We went back. This time there are two technicians. One technician's pressing from above. The next technician's pressing from underneath. We take more pictures. Same spiel. Back to the waiting room. She comes back 10, 15 minutes later. He's still not happy. Let's go back. Go back. As you would guess, there are now three technicians in there. So one's pressing from above. One's pressing from below. This third lady is pressing with both hands to squeeze it in sideways. So she's using two hands. We take more pictures, go back to the waiting room, same spiel. To make that a little bit more concise, we did that for a little over three hours. That's just incredible. Go on. Of just back and forth and back and forth and squeezing and he's not happy, more pictures. And squeezing, he's not happy, more pictures. So minutes turn into hours, which turn into hours. And I'm now not only frustrated, but I'm deathly afraid of what they're finding and not finding. And why isn't anybody talking to me? And, you know, it's unnerving to say the least. So finally she comes and she says, he's, he's pleased. I'm going to take you to sonogram. Okay. Go into the sonogram, lay down on the table. She opens my gown. She gets the gel, the gunk, and she starts, you know, wanding over my breast. Immediately she says, have you had any trauma in your breasts? Again, a question you really want to be asked right there and then with a sign, you know, that's over our head that says technicians will say nothing. Don't ask them any questions or their opinion, you know, right right over our head. So I'm like, why are you asking me a question? So I say, no, I've nursed four babies for a very long time and, but no actual trauma. Why I ask her, which is just another crazy thing about the brain, like, Why did I ask that question? I really did not want to know the answer, but you ask anyway, right? And she says, I've never seen anything like what I'm seeing when I look at your breast. Okay. Awesome. So 
you stop breathing again, right? You Your breath stops, your heart rate increases. And she says, I've got enough. I'm going to go send it, show it to the radiologist. Okay, this is the same radiologist who's been looking at my breast for the last three and a half hours or so, four hours. She comes back, five minutes, maybe. Has a piece of paper in her hand. She turns it around. She shows it to me. There are three boxes with descriptions. The middle box is a check mark by it. She reads it to me. She says, tissue most likely benign. Come back in six months. Hands me the piece of paper. Mm. After all that. After all that. Torture. Literally exactly. torture. And I, I stare at her like she's insane. And I'm like, what? She's like, yeah, he says you're fine. Go get dressed. And as soon as you're dressed, you're free to leave. Make sure you schedule that appointment for six months for now. And I say, could you could you get him for me? Because I have a few questions. Like, I've been here for four hours. He hasn't found a picture he really likes. You just told me you've never seen anything like this. And I have two palpable lumps. <laughs> like, can we start connecting some dots here, people? <laughs> yeah. And now she's looking at me like, I'm insane. Like I've asked her to solve the crisis of homelessness and hunger in the country. You know what I mean? And she says, he says, you're fine. You can leave. And I say, no, no, like go get him. Like, I don't know. Like, did you just say no to me? Cause I'm sort of shocked that you just said no to me. I said, no, no, please go get him. I'm still nice. So while I'm still nice, please go get him. You know? So she leaves after saying fine like that to me, like so dismissive. I can't tell you. Wow. She leaves again. She comes back in five minutes alone. And I keep staring at the door. Like maybe he's trickling in behind her. Maybe he had, Someone stopped him in the hall. You know, I'm like staring at the door, like not at her at all. Because of course he's coming in after her. A patient who's been here for four hours wants to speak to him. But no, no one comes in the door. She again looks at me very dismissively. And she says, he says, you're fine. Leave. Go home. Schedule in six months. So... People who know me know that I am really a sweet, sweet, loving lady. But if crossed, if threatened, if health is involved, if my children are involved, I can quickly turn into the Incredible Hulk, (laughs) right? So you know that look on Dr. Banner's face, like right before you see the change in his eyes. Right. Yeah, that was exactly what was happening. So I looked at her and I said, I'm giving you 20 minutes. Get me everything you've ever done, every mammogram, every sonogram. You have 20 minutes. I'll be in the waiting room. Bring them to me. And she says, oh, we have a 24, 48 hour policy and I'm not sure. And I said, you have 20 minutes. I, I don't, that's, that's what I'm giving you. You have 20 minutes. So 20 minutes later, she brings them to me. I go to my car. I'm still in the parking lot. And I just 
sob, just absolutely sob. I call my husband, who's now thoroughly panicking. It's yeah, almost five hours since I left the house for a simple mammogram and sonogram. And I call my internist. And I say, this is what's going on. I know something's wrong. I know something is wrong. And I don't know what to do. And she says, you go to a breast surgeon and you have a biopsied. So you have palpable lumps. You biopsy them. Like, right. we're not going to do another mammogram. We're not going to do another sonogram. We're going straight to a surgeon and you're going to be biopsied. And that's what I did. She gave me some recommendations. I still sat in that parking lot. I didn't leave. I took some deep breaths. I stopped crying and I made an appointment. And again, it was two weeks. So now, you know, we're going to be a month out once I, you know, get that. And again, had to carry on the next two weeks the best I could, carrying on life, pretending. Right doing everything that I could and made it to that appointment. And what happened there? So got there, said goodbye to my husband in the waiting room and went with her. And I always describe it as that it wasn't that bad as far as pain goes. I was numbed. I did a needle biopsy. I was awake. It was a guided biopsy. So as far as physical pain goes, not so bad. But I was painfully aware that she knew, even without getting results, that it was cancerous. Right. Like I said earlier, I was studying to be a interpreter. I was a speech language pathologist. Words, language, intonation, nonverbal communication, facial expressions, they're very important to me. I'm very in tune with them. And it was painfully obvious that it was cancerous. Yeah. So we finished the procedure. She puts ice packs. She bandages me up, walks me back to my husband who was waiting for me. We made eye contact. We didn't speak. We walked to the elevator. I pushed the elevator button, waited for the elevator to come, and I said to him without even looking him in the eyes, I was staring straight at the elevator, I said, I have cancer. And he says, what do you mean? Like, they don't they have to send out results? And he was very confused. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They need to send out the results. And she didn't say anything to me, but I know. Yep. I have cancer. I said, we don't have to talk about it again until we actually get the results. but." Just know that I know, and that's what I'm going to be carrying with me for the next two weeks until we get the results back. Yet another two weeks. And then another two weeks. Yes, because we can put a person on the moon. We can make artificial limbs. We can make robots and AI, but you can't get a biopsy back for for two weeks. It's incredible. Because that makes sense. Yeah, so two weeks later... She calls, and that was another interesting part about mine. Like, I was not in the office. I did not have an appointment. She just called me on the phone and told me that I was positive, that both lumps were cancerous. Lumpectomy, yeah, is not an option at that point, right? Yes. 
at the lumpectomy was not an option at that point. And I didn't know at that point, but both of the tumors were exactly the same, which I've later learned makes treatment and the treatment plan much easier and a better prognosis. I did not know anything of that nature then, but I remember her being very happy with the fact that they were the same tumor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then she said, we need to discuss whether you're going to have a single or a double mastectomy, you know, because of the two tumors, I could not have a lumpectomy. Right. And it was a pretty easy decision for me at that point. She really wanted to have a long in-depth discussion and um, tell me the statistics and give me my options. And for me, I was 38. I had four young children. I had babies in my house. It was a pretty easy decision for me to say double mastectomy right away. And I needed, again, a answer to now what? You know, that same question that keeps coming up. Now what? Right. What's my plan? What do we do next? And then as your listeners know, and you know, once the diagnosis comes in, then it goes fast. Right. Then there's no more two weeks. Then it's college 101. Here's all your everything thrown out you, you know, at you. She was like, in the next couple of days, you need a PET scan. You need, you know, to make an appointment. You need to schedule this. We need to talk, you know, to go to an oncologist. You need to, mm-hmm. you know, do that in the next 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I did. I had a PET scan, which showed there was no other areas that had cancer, scheduled my double mastectomy for June. So I was diagnosed, found it in April, diagnosed in May, surgery in June. Yeah. Two months go by. It's crazy. Just about two months. So time is of the essence. People know that with cancer. It is. Absolutely. Yeah. And I was on the ball. You Mm. know, I was... I called right then. I did. And it was still two months. There was no dilly-dallying or stalling on my end at all. And that was the soonest we could do anything. Yeah. So my double mastectomy was June 10th and met with the oncologist once we got results back. My tumors were triple positive. So estrogen positive, progesterone positive, her her two new positive. Yeah. So because of the triple positive, I would have three months of chemo, a full year of Herceptin, another IV targeted therapy. Mm-hmm. I would have 28 rounds of daily radiation mm-hmm. and then multiple, multiple surgeries in between after, continuously after that. I'd have a port put in for right. the IV drugs. And that was my now what? That was my plan. Exactly. So before we go forward, because you're not done yet, but looking back, what would you, what do you want to say to people about listening to your gut and not following bad information like the information you got from the radiologist? How, yeah. how important is that to listen to your gut? I believe it's one of the most important important things that we can do. The worst thing that can happen is it doesn't turn out as what you thought. But again, going back to that that whisper, if you have any higher power that you believe in and 
you know, I strongly believe. And this is, you know, God's whisper to me to pay attention. Yeah. And I can honestly say that I probably would not be alive right now if I had listened to the radiologist and waited the six months. Because as you just mentioned, it was two months when I was doing my due diligence that even if I had made that appointment at exactly six months and they had found something, my due diligence again would probably have gotten me to eight months. Yeah. So in fairness, I will get to it in a little, you know, in a little bit, but my, once they did surgery, found out that it was already in my lymph nodes. So that's six months that turned into eight months, which probably would have been closer to 10 months to a year if I probably would not have the outcome of, yeah, you know, where I am right now. Right. And really, no one is going to be a better advocate for your body. We are the experts of our own bodies and we need to live our lives as such. Yeah. Right. We need to live our lives as though we are the expert, as though no one knows our bodies better than we do. And unfortunately, we give that power away. Yeah. Unfortunately, we're taught that, especially as women, to ask others' opinion, to yeah. seek outside advice, to confirm, to confirm again, and ask somebody else to confirm again. And we're not given that, that power to say, no, I know. I'm the expert. I know my body. Right. I know this isn't my normal I, I I know that something's going on. So please, if you take anything <laughs> from this, listen to the whisper because the whisper turns into a a little bit of a loud talk and then the little bit of a loud talk becomes a little bit of a louder one and then it becomes a yell and then it becomes a scream. So right. the best thing we can do is to listen and honor and respect the whisper. Absolutely. If not, if you give into the fear and say, oh, okay, thank God I don't have to do anything else today. I'm just going to go home and forget about this. When you do, when it comes up again, because it certainly will, you will not be at that same stage. You will not have that same predictable outcome. I mean, such a good outcome. You'll be fighting for your life at that point. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So- that that's it, it's just amazing, but and I just want to say, and I, I I'm I'm with you. It's I'm not because I had the same thing happen to me, and I I gave into the fear, and I went another year. Before, yeah, exactly. And now I obviously I've made it, but my you know it's been a long journey, you know. And I always say, why did why did I listen to that? Why first of all, why did that person give me that diagnosis? A professional who does this all the time, and secondly, you know, why did I listen? But there you go. You know, that it is what it is now. And I didn't want to fight the guy. I didn't want to anything more negative. I never went after anyone for a wrong diagnosis or anything like that because you're up against so much at that point. You just can't afford to go into negativity at Correct. all. Correct. You just have to push on in the most positive manner. So how did you do that? How were you able to do that? You know, people ask me, often did i seek legal counsel did i go back does he know did you fight and i'm in the same mindset as you are i didn't know then that 
what I was doing was staying at a high vibrational state. I knew that I really believed in the power of words, of the power of your mind, and I wanted to stay in as much positivity as I could. Yeah. My family and I coined a term of let positivity fly. And that was our, that was our motto. We had team positivity and we had bracelets and we had t-shirts and we let positivity fly. And that's great. That was where my focus was on having a positive mindset, my children having a positive mindset. And I allowed my oncologist to speak to him. I, I, you know, I allowed other people to hold that anger for me to be the, you know, the container for that so that I could focus on healing and positivity. And I believe that I would have continued to listen to the whisper, but I think it would have been more difficult if he had come in. I was very angry of being dismissed, of feeling as my fears, my questions were unworthy of the big doctor to come in and speak to me. Right. However, if he had, if he had come in, if he had come and held my hand, looked me in the eyes, said, I've been doing this for 30 years. I know what a cancerous lump looks like. This is not what I'm looking at. You're fine. We'll monitor you. Just go home, have a nice evening with your husband and come back in six months. I would love to say that I'm 100% sure that I still would have listened to the whisper. Mm -hmm. But I don't know, you know? Yeah. My anger comes in how many other women did he dismiss? How many other women did he not give any attention to? And they said, oh, he says, I'm fine. I'm going to go home and not listen. And you know, you had an amazing outcome, but, you know, your year might not have turned out to be other people's one year for listening. No. And so that's where my anger came in. I didn't carry it myself, but I carried it for others who went home and didn't make that phone call in right then and forgot six months later also. Yeah. Because we forget. And right. he said, I'm fine. So why do I need a rushing? And so that's yeah. where I've come. And I'm 12 years out. So I, I've had a lot of time to think and heal and process. But positivity and mindset were what got me through. And, and still do Absolutely. to this day, no yeah. doubt. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, the more you go through this, the more you realize how important it is to control your mind and your emotions and, and to go high vibe because it's, it's a frequency that's way above the frequency of disease and it's what saves your life. Absolutely. And it's fascinating how some things are just so intuitive, Mm. yet they are scientifically backed, the high vibrational energy. And So I made it very clear to everybody in my circle that we were to use the word cancer. 
I did not want the word sick used around me at all. So people were told not to use it in my earshot or my children's talking to us or just in earshot that because I knew and believed in this power of words and thoughts, I was a healthy woman with cancer. Right. I was not sick. I was not a sickly woman. And I didn't want my children who were young to confuse being sick with a cold or their friends not being at school because they were sick. Confusing that with cancer, I made it very clear to them that when my hair fell out, it was because of the medicine, that if I was tired, it was because of the medicine. It was not that I was sick. Mommy's healthy and mommy has cancer, but she's healthy. Mm -hmm. And that was a really important distinction that I made to my friends, to my family, I didn't want to be called sick. Right. Right. It, yeah. You you cannot focus on being sick if you want to be well. Right. You have to focus on you are well. You have to feel into that. You have to understand you have the power and you're creating your life. And so you are not focused on being sick Correct. if you want to be well. Right. I mean, that just takes sickness into your future, quite Correct. frankly. Yeah. Yeah. So you did the right thing there, but I mean, I mean, you had, after your double mastectomy, then you went on and had more surgery. Tell us about that. That's a wrap for part one of Jill Krause's cancer journey. Stay tuned for part two, as Jill describes the remaining stops along that journey and shares how she's using all of her experiences to assist others in their recovery from the disease. Thank you for listening to Put Cancer Behind You with Maria Barnes. So you won't miss a single episode. We hope you'll follow our program on Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite pod platforms. And be sure to visit us at mariabarnes.net, on Facebook at Put Cancer Behind You, on Twitter at PCBY01, or on Instagram at mariabarnespcby. Also, you can help us grow our audience by leaving a thoughtful review. Remember, if you or someone you know is in need of cancer coaching, Maria is here to help. We'll see you next time.